Welcome to the Life Success and Legacy Podcast. We're glad you're here, and we hope you enjoy the episode. Hey, good morning to uh, everybody who's listening in at the Life Success Legacy Podcast. We are represented here by Lawrence America and Houston, Texas. Hey, Houston, how's it going, Mike Kwong? Right, all right, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us this morning. Yep. Mike Everett, how are you doing? I am doing swell. Swell. Good deal. How's that shoulder? How's that shoulder? Well, I tell you, we're working through some stuff. Uh, he he suggested that I start swimming. Oh, going to break yeah. out the Speedo, huh? I'm telling you, we're going to get it going. I'm going to start <laughs> getting up a little bit before the uh, crack of dawn and getting over to the pool. I, I just got to do it. I, I'm tired of being an invalid. Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. Well, today we are going to um, dive into the topic of what type of policy um, works best or uh, Nelson recommended for using IBC and why he recommended whole life design specifically by his guidelines, but then why he didn't recommend some other types of policies. And so what we want to do with this is first, we want to give a little bit of a historical view as to why have these other types of policies? And we're talking about universal life, variable life, indexed universal life, IUL, you'll hear people talking about that. And you'll hear this, if you research um, infinite banking at all, you're going to hear this and you will hear it even from people who are professing teaching IBC. So why are we getting all these mixed messages, which is really sad, okay? So we want to go back historically and explain why did universal life, indexed universal life, all these th variable life come into existence. Then we want to actually unpack how these things are actually designed, the pros and the cons of them. Okay. And then we'll, we'll close up with why do we um, utilize uh, whole life insurance specifically designed mm. to leverage the cash value. So that's kind of the, the trajectory that we want to take you on. Um, so historically, Mike, I'm going to lean on you a little bit on this. Can you take us back? Oh, by the way, to our listeners, um, Nelson comments on this. He has a very specific section of his book, page 39, mm -hmm. Becoming Your Own Banker, um, where he talks about, it's called My Thoughts on Universal Life and Variable Life. So if you want to read Nelson's words, they're right there. So let's go historically, <laughs> Mike. Take us back. What was going on in the financial world? And where did universal life, which was the first variation of it, where did universal life come from? Well, universal life came from uh, an investment group out in California originally. This would have been in the late 70s and the early 80s. And what they did was they realized that they could create something where they could unbundle the the life insurance product. Well, bottom line was in the late 60s, all the way through the early 80s, whole life fell out of favor. Mm -hmm. Why? Because interest rates were shooting up, the market was shooting up, all of the things that people had their money, quote unquote, invested in was completely out of control and people were making buckets of money. Mm -hmm. So the insurance company said, wait a second here. We need, we need to create a product to where we can actually be viable in the marketplace 
to where they could take this to the regular folks and say, hey, wait a second here. We know you're not interested in whole life insurance. Let's look at this universal life. And they used to really just call it universal life. And uh, I've got my, my, my druthers about how, why and how they created it. But I, I realized that what they were doing was they were taking the whole life insurance product they were taking it and putting it over on a shelf and they said, Hey, wait a second. We have a new toy to play with. Mm -hmm. So what they did was they created universal life because they could actually quote unquote, and this is right in Nelson's book, unbundle the product. What does unbundling mean? It basically means that they're tearing the engine of the whole life insurance policy apart really, but they've created a term product, which is an annual renewable term, which in all reality, when we're younger, the cost of that annual renewable term is what? It's dirt Nothing cheap. Cheap. Yeah. And so that means that they would they would take this and you could buy this term, but then they would take all of the excess dollars and it really didn't matter how much you were putting in. It could be $50 a month, $100 a month, $1,000 a month. It didn't matter. But they would take literally, I'm going to say 75 to 95% of those dollars and shove them into an account where it would be placed within the market. And then you could actually hopefully make some money on this portion of the policy. And have your, have your life insurance covered by the term. And have your life insurance. Yeah. So it was a if you were standing back from afar and you looked at this in the 70s and 80s, you'd go, whoa, this is absolutely unbelievable. So I originally got into the life insurance business in the early 80s. So this is going to date me a little bit. And one of the companies that I worked for at the time was selling college plans. And so you would go to college juniors and seniors and graduate students and you would show them this universal life and i kid you not interest rates were between 12 and 15 percent on the money that you were putting into these universal life products you could literally show a 20 year old 21 year old putting 20 dollars a month into this thing and when he turned 65 he would have $14 million. And I'm going, who wouldn't want to do this? Now, keep in mind, I was a new, young life insurance guy. I was probably at best 26, 27 years old. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking at this going, I bought, I bought a bucket of it. And then all of a sudden, I started doing my own research. Yeah. So there, that gives you kind of a, a little bit of history, and I'm sure we'll get into kind of a little bit more of the nuts and bolts, but... Absolutely. Um, so when you were talking about the design of this universal life, and it, whether we're talking about variable or indexed universal, they're all a variation of a universal life, which as Mike That's just right. described, is you are unbundling a policy, you have you're covering the life insurance part of it because it's life insurance companies that are doing this, right? So you got to have life insurance involved. It is an annual renewable term policy. And the other half is 
money that's going into the market to get the, take advantage of these great interest rates during the time. Now, as we think about this, as I get older, what happens to the cost of that annual renewable term policy? <laughs> it goes it up starts up going up. up and up and up. Now, if my investment side is keeping up with that, it may not be that big of an issue over time, but eventually it's probably going to implode, right? Nelson talked about that. <laughs> but what happens as I get older and interest rates drop, and he actually talks about how people actually lost money, right? Well, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to touch on exactly what you said. So the universal life is really just the chassis. Then what, they, the, then what they figured out as time went along, they started creating indexed and variable and all of this mm -hmm. other stuff. But you just basically said the word implode. Yeah. So I'm going to tell you what my personal belief is after 35 plus years in the insurance business. My personal belief is the people that created Universal Life knew what they were creating knowing full well that people were going to take a little or a lot of money, didn't make any difference, shove them into this thing. They were, who's going to get to use that money? The life insurance company, by the way. Mm -hmm. And what's going to happen is as these people get older, the cost of their life insurance gets older. What's happened to the market over the last, I, I'm just going to say 10 to 15 years. Right. It has plummeted, plummeted. Yep. What's happened to interest rates? They have plummeted. In fact, the government has held these things historically low on purpose so they, well, we'll get into some political stuff there and I don't want to do that. But yet here's what's happened is the insurance company knew that all of this stuff would eventually implode. Mm -hmm. And so when the cost of the life insurance policy gets so expensive that it's eating away the dollars out of that investment bag of money, what do people do to those? They cancel them. <laughs> so the insurance company says, oh, yeah, you've got life insurance. And then people are what? They're living longer now. People are living to 75, 85, 90 years old now. Can people afford term life insurance when they're 75 years old? They cannot. They cancel these things at between, I think it's really between the ages of 60 and 75. Mm -hmm. And when they hit 76 or 80 years old, guess what they do? Yeah, they die. Well, you, you know, what's even worse than canceling it voluntarily is when your policy lapses because of that oh. fee structure and that mm -hmm. return that they're, you know, marketing. These are built in the sense that if you were to hold to the guarantees, literally the guarantees that are in there written, you'll see most times it will lapse at a certain year down the road because the guarantees have to admit that the market will produce zero. Right. At least, you know. Uh, and, and they'll hold to that floor. But because of that locked and ever increasing fee structure, which, by the way, includes surrender charges. So you try to some, you know, surrender a policy without hitting all these other fees. It's forget about whatever is left in cash value. They're going to hit you with surrender fees and, and you'll have nothing to come out of it. You know, you so know, I'm a trusting soul, probably to a fault. And when I hear Mike Everett say, you know what, they, 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 he thinks they designed these things knowing exactly what was going to happen. My initial instinct is to say, nah, come on, they wouldn't do that. But I also have a, a family, a distant family relative who is in food science. And 
she has worked for fast food chains. Her job is to design this fast food in the combination of carbs and sugar and salt and fat mm. to addict us to this food. Wow. Right. And we know, yeah. we know that this food is not good for us, but I still pull up to McDonald's, man, there's nothing better than those French fries, right? They're the best. <laughs> They're the best. Chicken so <laughs> these things are actually designed to addict us and hurt us. And when you, when you bring that together with what we've been talking about with this universal life product, it's like, so they're taking advantage of the market and they're designing it in a way that is actually not going to be beneficial for people for the long haul. Mike Kwong, let's yep. go back to IBC, right? Yep. What is the purpose then? We've talked about what a universal life is and variation, and there are indexes and all those kinds of things that you deal with a lot with the people you talk with. But let's talk about why Nelson recommends using a whole life product specially designed. What is the purpose of it? Why is he so bent on a whole life product, which is, as we all joke, it is not sexy, right? Sure, sure. <laughs> you know, because it's about the process of banking, the practice of banking. That function can exist only when you have an, a, a vehicle or a chassis, like Mike said, that is solid, reliable, filled with guarantees based on a contract, okay? Not based on, you know, high fluting, you know, market returns that may or may not happen and possibly declines, right? This is based on a contract and, and the cash values have to be secured and, and set from a place of, secure, you know, certainty. And it's right by the, the death benefit, the future, you know, the death benefit is literally what drives that cash value growth. It's the engine, isn't it? It's each day, because really, the cash value is nothing more than the present day value of that future death benefit. Mm -hmm. okay? So people need to understand that, right? By, by us just simply making our premium payments, the, the equity in the policy, which is the cash value, is guaranteed to increase. That's just simple math. And then on top of that, because the way we structure IBC policies with the PUAs reinvested to purchase additional real-time death benefit increases, right? then that necessarily also drives up that cash value because every day is going to happen. Every month will, every year will. And there's that mathematical certainty in that product's cash value that you just can't have, you know, with a unbundled, you know, Frankenstein IUL. That's so when you say that the, the death benefit is really kind of the engine, it's what creates everything else. When you take a universal life, what you're doing is you're taking away that whole life death benefit portion of it. And it's a term which is not generating any cash value, <laughs> right? Correct. And so you're, you're cutting out the engine of the vehicle. Yep. Okay. Okay. You're putting bad gas in a, in a high powered engine is what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, but again, um, I'm going to go back to Nelson and, and becoming your own banker on the very first page. And we start every boot camp with this. He says, this book is not about investments of any kind. Yep. It is about how one finances the things of life, which can certainly include in investments. It is not about rates of return. Mm, mm. I, I say this all the time back in 2008 when the market was crashing and teachers I was working with had their money in 403Bs and they lost 
huge percentages of their retirement. And some of them were ready to retire and then couldn't, right? Yep. To me, right then, and I didn't know about IBC, I knew I didn't want my money sitting in something that was at risk. So that's one of the reasons that IBC to me was so attractive as I know I've got the security of my whole life policy. Now, do we have clients? Mm. Do we ourselves leverage our policies for investment purposes? 100%. Yeah. Yep. Never have to worry about losing the engine of this whole thing. Mm -mm. Right? Yeah. Mike. Uh, uh, got there, two. Mics there's here. two. Yeah, there's two of us here. <laughs> um, let's talk a little bit um, about IBC. And when you first started, if you said IBC or infinite banking out on the street and there were 10 people standing around you, how many of them would have been familiar with that term? Zero. <laughs> <laughs> has, that like changed, has that changed a little bit? It has changed a little bit. Yeah, okay. and really, I think the the reason why it's changed is because you've got social media, you've got everybody doing podcasts and videos and all of this thing out there, and mm -hmm. and I I personally think it's changed for the better. But it's like anything; you have a, a certain level of IBC people out here who are teaching this with the purity of IBC in mind. Yeah. And then you have some that are, and, and pardon me, listeners, that are bastardizing it completely for what reason? Just to sell policies. And that's, that's what makes me sad. That's what made Nelson sad. You know, and, and I love the fact that you went, that you went to page two or page three, which is really mm -hmm. the first real page in the book. But the infinite banking concept is a major paradigm shift for most folks. It will require several thorough readings for a full understanding of its message. The concept is not complicated. It is just different from the way the majority thinks and behaves. And so because of the way we are thinking, because of the way we have been taught, we all got taught to put money into a invest low, sell high. When you buy something, buy at a low interest rate, you know, get the best rate of return. Mm -hmm. Well, in my webinar, we talk about this stuff. They are all lies. But yet that's what the system is taught. And you just mentioned that the uh, the uncle or whoever, you know, somebody who is mm -hmm. putting bad foods together. Well, there you go. You got to kind of go, wait a second here. Why are they teaching it? And what is the ultimate bottom line out of this thing? And so I, I too am trusting, but because of my age and being, uh, I don't want to say burned, but yet I, I I've, I've experienced a lot in life and I've done all of these universal life policies early, early, early on before I learned about IBC. And I thought, oh my gosh, mm -hmm. this is, and so I'm totally skeptical of the whole thing. Now, <laughs> are, are all these insurance companies selling them? You better believe it. Why? Because it's a product. Yeah. It's a product. And Nelson says, 
We are teaching a process, not selling a product. And I'd just like to add one last point before I forget. You know, when you think about, you know, our opinions, you know, as agents and users of IBC, that's fine. But what do the, even the banks think about it, right? You're familiar with iBlocks. Good point. Insurance mm. line of credit or insurance back lines of credit. So what, what, what this is, is uh, credit that a bank will extend you based on your your uh, cash values in a policy. Or, or That's right. So what's the difference, though? Right. When you go to you know the bank and you show them, hey, I have this whole life policy. I've got X amount of cash value. You can likely get up to 100 percent of that cash value as credit or collateral against the loan from the bank. Mm -hmm. Now, reverse that and take an IUL policy. I've got the same. Let's say. You know, you have the same amount of cash value in there. Yeah. Are they willing to use or or use uh, you know as collateral to back that loan? Half, half. So even if the dollar amounts are the same, that tells you the the, the confidence that these banks have in the cash values of the two different instruments. Mm -hmm. So again, there's so many red flags that come up all the time. I mean, look at <laughs> illustrations. All right, our illustrations could be 11, 12 pages. I've had yet to find one Ill, you know, IUL illustration that's less. Oh my goodness, they're thirty-five pages long. And that's why not, is that, Mike Kwong? Why why are those illustrations so long? Well, because they have to explain all the risks involved. They have to explain how the money is invested. And believe me, I, you know I've been through a lot of school, and it's not easy to read. And I can guarantee <laughs> you, the clients aren't going to read through all of it. And if they do, they're not going to understand it because the agents don't. Yeah. Really. Uh, I'm just putting that out there, you know, um, before I forget. You know, it strikes me um, for our listeners who have listened to a lot of our stories. Um, before I was introduced to infinite banking, my wife and I were practicing um, Dave Ramsey's principles. And one of his key principles is buy term and invest the, the difference. And isn't that what universal life is? You're buying term and you're investing the difference, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and what happens, you know, you're putting your dollars at risk again, and that term is going to run out at some point. And so, again, as we always tell people, it is not an or product. It is an and asset. You, you put your money into your banking system. You gain the three uses of those dollars. Then you pull the money out and you put it, go invest in whatever you want to do, right? And and even have some control over it rather than just having a company manage it for mm -hmm. you and pay fees to them for doing it, right? So, okay, what have we missed, guys? Anything else we need to say on this topic? Well, I'm, I'm going to touch on universal life. Okay, so they had universal life, which was in the market. Then they created variable variable universal life. And that was just a different variation of the universal life, but they put money in different things like mutual funds mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And then they did the indexed universal life. Now I'm going to back this up to when retirement accounts came into the picture, because I want people to understand a historic thing about what's been going on in all government created stuff. So we had retirement accounts, then they changed them to pension plans, and then they changed them to 401ks. And it seems like since the 401k has become the staple in, uh, in retirement accounts, have they changed the 401k multiple times over the last 20 to 30 years? 
They keep making changes all along the way. Now, the big question I'm going to ask is, are they making the changes for you, the consumer, or are they making the changes for them, the company who is actually holding and handling that money? I, I can tell like you they don't. For me. Yeah, they, <laughs> I can tell you 100% that it's not for you. So wait a second here. We're going to go back to the late 70s, early 80s. They, can, they, they created Universal Life. Then they came to uh, Variable Life. Then they came to Indexed Index. Universal Life. Why are they making the changes? Are they making them for you or are they making them for the insurance company? Well, I think about Index Universal Life <laughs> when Universal Life started falling out of favor because it was falling apart and markets were changing and all that. I'm guessing that they said, you know what, we better put some indexes on this so people feel like their money is safe. You can't go too low. You can't go too high. Let's let's put some, you know, yeah. like when you go bowling and they put those bumpers in the alleys, yeah. it's like they put bumpers on this policy, but it's still the same policy. Yes, it's it is. still a renewable term with something at risk. Eventually, the whole thing falls apart. I'm just telling you. Yeah. Yeah. Nelson says this a couple times on page uh, 39 uh, regarding universal life. He said, um, I, I never sold one of them when I was in the business and I surely wouldn't buy one. He later says the same thing uh, about the variable life and the index universal life. He's like, I do not recommend it's used for infinite banking. I never sold one of those policies and I certainly would never buy one. So, yeah, the key thing that you just said is I do not recommend it's used for the infinite banking concept. And yet so there's if, so many people out there that are professing IBC and, and I'm with them. I'm listening. I'm with them. And then all of a sudden at the end, they say indexed universal life. And I'm like, that's not IBC. Yeah. So, well, thanks guys. Appreciate you guys unpacking um, that information. It's a topic that is, you know, obviously out there and people are asking about, and they want to understand. People want to understand yep. so that they can make good decisions for themselves. Um, if someone comes to us, I mean, for those of us that are Nelson Nash Institute practitioners, we actually signed a piece of paper that said, if someone asks for an IBC policy, it has to be a whole life policy with a mutual company, not even an option to sell an nope. index universal life, universal life, or any variation of that. So, great. Good information, guys. Thanks for, for joining. Uh, to our listeners, thank you so much for coming back. We appreciate it. Um, if you have questions or topics that you would like for us to discuss, please do not hesitate to comment or, or reach out to us. Contact us with our um, website at lifesuccesslegacy.com. Lots of resources there for learning. And uh, we have a boot camp coming up in June. I'm looking at my calendar here. Yep, June Saturday, June 10th will be our next uh, boot camp. And just for people who don't know, that is a deep dive. It's about three hours long. We spend about an hour and a half teaching the concept at, at a deep level and showing examples with our software. 
And then we spend about an hour to an hour and a half simply discussing and responding to those who are participating to their Q&As, uh, to their questions that they have. And so it's a really deep dive into learning, and we'd love for you guys to join us. Um, you can sign up for that on our website again at lifesuccesslegacy.com. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you next time.